Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my buddy, my pal, coming back for kind of kind of a 1.5 because she was on here sort of before. We'll get into that in a second. Tuna Tardugno from the band Sweat, formerly of the band Dog Teeth, a professional wrestler, one of the best DJs I've ever seen in my life, and, uh, and, and just a rad person. We'll get to all this in one second, but First, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. If you'd like to uh, find me on social media, I am at left for Damien on Twitter or Instagram. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it. You can also head over to turnedoutapunk.com. And grab a t-shirt. We have t-shirts now. And uh, I, I designed them myself. They're not those fast printed things. They're actually like real screen shirts. And uh, multiple colors. Lots of colors on those things too. So uh, grab one of those. And thank you to everyone who has done that. Speaking of thanks, i got to give a huge thanks to everyone who heads over to patreon.com slash turnitapunk. Checks out some of the stuff that I put up over there. There are, are bonus podcasts and, and video podcasts and Turn out a punk footnotes. There's all sorts of stuff over there. So check that thing out if you will. And uh, yeah. And then um, thank you to everyone that does do that. <laughs> Huge thank you. Sorry. Think about a lot of things at the moment. Um, and uh, I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. We're going to be heading to, knock on wood, the West Coast of California and the West Coast of California, the West Coast of America for a tour, I think two weeks from now. I think starting on the 19th, look it up, fuckedup.cc has got all the info. We also have just reissued a bunch of records on some incredible labels that you can find out more information also at fuckedup.cc. And come come see me live if you're around. We will uh, be able to hopefully chat at a safe distance from each other, socially distance, and have a good time. <laughs> uh, yeah, one day, one day we'll all be able to uh, not have to worry about being, you know, quarantined in the u.s for five days or whatever um anyway all right on to today's show today on the show from the band sweat they've got a brand new incredible lp they might not be called sweat <laughs> much longer you'll hear tuna talk about that but they're, they're they are sweat now the record is called gotta give it up uh, Tuna is someone that I got to meet years ago when she was DJing at a fucked up show. Uh, Joan and I were sitting backstage and all of a sudden it kind of dawned on us. Oh my God, like every single song that's been played between bands has been killer. Fast forward to us going over and talking to Tuna and it turns out that she is just the raddest. And then got, getting to know her through wrestling stuff and all sorts of things. You may be familiar with Tuna from the wrestling side of things, because there was a video that went viral a couple years ago featuring herself and Priscilla Kelly doing one of the most memorable spots in professional wrestling history. We talk all about it on the episode, but um, yeah, check that video out. But look at Priscilla Kelly, Tuna Tardugno. Actually, it might just be under Priscilla Tuna, and it was at Suburban Fight. A uh, huge uh, shout out also to Madison in Suburban Fight, where I got to do the live Turned Out of Punk punk wrestling connection episode he put it on years ago where tuna appeared first on the show that thing is buried on the end of the 2019 like the year end 2019 i believe 
2018. The year in 2018. And uh, that thing is, uh, yeah, it's really worth listening to. There's a lot of cool stuff on it, a lot of great guests. As I, as I go into in a second, you'll hear why. But you should definitely check that thing out. Uh, that's it. Get the sweat record. The sweat record rips. It is awesome. Check out the dog teeth seven inch. You can probably find that thing still. And it, it is also a fantastic record. Uh, that's it. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy tuna on turned out a punk. Tuna, thank you so much for coming on the show or back on the show. Yeah. Well, as we were just saying, you were on the, uh, I think the, the, one of the great lost moments of, of doing this podcast, which is the turn out a punk punk wrestling connection, uh, a, a show that came in a really rough time in my life. Personally, it was just after my mom passed away and it was like my first sort of social thing that I was not really ready to kind of put together, but you very graciously came along and we had a, a super fun day that day. And so uh, I've wanted to have you back since then. And that was like, what, three years ago now? So yeah. thank you for coming back. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Um, yeah, that that was a blast. I had no idea what to expect. And like, you're just such a natural at it. It's great. Well, I appreciate that. No, I don't think I had any idea what to expect. I, Madison was <laughs> like, hey, do you want to come out and do uh, a turned out a punk thing? And I, I booked it before my mom passed away. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I'll figure it out. And then my mom passed away and I was like, I can't do it. And then I'm like, no, no, I'll do it. So I hit him up and I'm like, no, I can do this. And it was just like, yeah, it was, it was a, an, a fun show in retrospect, but definitely a show that was a, a, a bit of a train wreck to kind of put together. <laughs> Um, a lot of good memories, a lot of weird memories too on that one. Wow. It's, I haven't even thought about it till, uh, right now, but Riley was there. I forgot Riley was there before yeah. he passed away too. So, um, anyway, That's the but, first time I met him and, uh, yeah, he was, he was so rad and he was so sweet and like, I remember he was late, but like, he was just like so cool about everything. Yeah. He was the best. He was, uh, you know, like it was the, Riley being there and then, you know, yourself. And I think uh pat from um turnstile was there and and anthony from ceremony and brody yeah. king and darby yeah. allen and it was a it was a fun action-packed guest like people need to go back and listen to that episode it's on the uh year-end wrap-up from that year so definitely check out that episode but we are not here to talk about that we are to reiterate some of those things because i think that one being lost i kind of need to ask you again Tuna, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre for the second time? <laughs> for the second time. And I still my I still think my answer is gonna be like, oh no, no. I think. Uh I think uh I don't know the like exact like first punk song or like realizing that I heard punk. Like I don't know what moment that was, but I know that like music was always around growing up, so I definitely always had a liking to like the faster music. And I remember just like getting older and like hearing faster and faster music. I'm like, Whoa. And then, uh, you know, like when I was like 10, you hear like blink 182 and you're like, Oh, this is like even faster, you know? And like, it's funny because I like look back and I was like, I don't know why Metallica never did it for me. Cause like they're way faster than like a lot of the shit that I'm like, Oh, this is fast and great. But at the time, like when I was a kid, I just like didn't care for Metallica. Um, anyways, 
I remember going to the mall with my sister and her friend and going into a hot topic. And there was like this binder of shows. Cause I would just like, remember seeing like studded bracelets and stuff. And then there's just, like a binder of flyers in it. And like, I always like to look at stickers and shit. And I like, think I thought it was like one of those kinds of things. And they're like, Oh no, this is all like the shows in the area. You should look at it. And then I remember just like seeing, um, toxic, a toxic narcotic flyer at the <laughs> Westcott community center in Syracuse. And like, I had just, at that point I had just found out about like the casualties and like the virus and all that shit. And I'm like, Oh, this is real punk. And then, yeah. And then I saw that, uh, that flyer for toxic narcotic and I was like, this sounds sick. And then, I bought a toxic narcotic CD at the mall and then I went to that show and it was like so sick. But then I found out about like the Syracuse scene and like, you know, took a bunch of those flyers, like introduced myself to the duty book show, just, you know, just like got into it like immediately. Like it was like that whole experience just like blew my mind. Cause I've been to like concerts and stuff, but I'd never been to like a actual like punk show like that before. And I was like, man, like, there were so many fucking people in that room <laughs> and like <laughs> the walls were just like dripping. And I just was like, man, this is the sickest fucking thing ever. And uh, yeah, Westcott Community Center came like, became like my church for like the five years after that, before I moved to California. Was that like a mandated thing or is that like an, a, a unique thing to that particular hot topic that they had show flyers for it was the just, area? I mean, I think it was just that one. I don't know. I, yeah. Um, that's kind of cool for like a mall store to do that. Yeah. I, I think it was probably someone that knew the like booker and like probably got hit up enough to like, yeah. <laughs> you know, just be like, I'll just put them in this thing. And like, someone was probably like obsessive about being organized or some shit. I don't know. But uh, yeah, little idiot kid like me was like, yeah. And then my mom brought me to the show and like, I made her wait outside because she didn't give a shit. And she's like, I'll go shopping. And she came back and like, she's like, all right, let's go. I'm like, damn, play jet. Sorry. She's like, I got to go. I'm like, I'll see you in two hours. <laughs> <I> just, like, <laughs> Didn't have a phone or anything. So she's just like pissed in the car. She's like, what the fuck? So wh- what was it about? Uh, so who were some of the other bands that played that show? Do you remember? Uh, the only one that I, I, I'm positive played was the control. Oh. Um, and then I think this never underplayed that show. And if not, I got flyers to go see them because I saw them shortly after. But I think they played that show. Um, and they turned into another breath. Um, and I could be wrong, but Two Man Advantage may have played. Do you remember that band? <laughs> no, it sounds very familiar, though. Who? I don't remember where they're from. Are they Canadian? Uh, not- maybe i don't know their 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 whole like shtick was like uh a hockey band hockey, so of course yeah. Could be. yeah um but they would always bring two people to start the pit hence the name two <laughs> <Man Advantage. laughs> and all i remember is like the singers just like ass crack was always out but um i haven't revisited that band so i can't really remember i don't know if like anyone was in any other band or anything yeah else, well i remember uh, the control definitely from buffalo right yeah yep with jeremy smith yep Cause like they, uh, I think they played with, um, with ruination or, or yeah, with ruination. When I wrote it for ruination, Mike's old band, that was, was, def- that was definitely that time. You know, it was, it was, it's amazing when you mentioned how many people at that show. Cause like upstate New York was massive for punk, specifically hardcore, like DIY hardcore was huge. Like yeah. Albany, Syracuse, Buffalo, like mm-hmm. all these places had pop and scene Rochester too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's like, you know, there's really like nothing to fucking do up there unless you're like a jock or you mm. get into drugs. And then like just like the music scene up there is crazy. And for some reason, like no matter what you're into, everyone in upstate New York, I know, is like obsessed with music. Like, have you ever heard some about somebody that like just never liked music? Like, I know so many like I've met so many people in my adult life. They're like, yeah, music was just like never on. I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> So I don't know if it's like, uh, it's like, you know, lower mid, like lower class thing or like a poor people thing to like really like bond over music. But like everyone in upstate New York, I felt like was just like obsessed with like some type of music. And I feel like when I was growing up, it was either like hip hop or like pop, like punk and hardcore. So. Yep. It felt like definitely like, at, especially in the nineties and, and into the early two thousands, like hardcore was almost like the big cultural export from upstate new york like now you know with griselda records and and west side gun you know the sort of like buffalo renaissance happening yeah. with hip-hop but like you know thinking back like snapcase was getting major coverage like earth crisis was getting sort of major music coverage and some of these other bands that were kind of coming out afterwards were getting you know big coverage in, in international press and stuff yeah goo goo dolls too <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, a lot of goo dolls. <laughs> what, what was what was the first show you and they were a punk band too? Really? Yeah, Goo Goo Dolls played with the Necros in Toronto. Their first Dang. two records. I think the first one's on an indie label and the second one's on Metal Blade, maybe. How really? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like how much longer was that before they like had their hit? Like I think like uh late 80s i think they were doing kind of the more kind of like Whoa. punk stuff and so i guess it's like you know a good maybe 10 years maybe less like five six years before they started having the huge hits they had huge hits like that i don't want the world to... I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna sing it but like that that song yeah, no, no. <laughs> i was like i was like it sounded so much better in my head i'm like oh no i think i'm gonna nail this when it comes and now you're like this is a good idea dollars right back immediately <laughs> um but they they were like uh they would play with like buffalo punk and hardcore bands back then i had no idea there's like a a real uh deep connection i guess with them and and the punk world you never know it from the later stuff though nope. <laughs> it's not really betray it what was the first concert you went to you mentioned going to concerts pre the uh, uh the first the first first concert i went to was with my grandma and it was the monkeys at the state fair uh when i was like four <laughs> that's a good one though uh and it, it was funny because like the um i was watching uh i would always watch the monkeys tv show at the time and mm -hmm. like i had no concept of reruns so i was like pissed when i went to the state fair and saw the monkeys so i'm like what the fuck is this <laughs> this is not them and she's like yes it is so i'm like no it's not it's not no uh-uh well they had the new monkeys too before that remember that they had like this brief new monkeys thing that they tried to launch with all new people with like all not new people like... might have been one of their kids maybe uh, maybe, maybe yeah. not they had a tv <laughs> show i remember like i would have been a, uh like young when this thing was on and i i don't think it lasted very long because i don't oh a don't tv hear... show yeah yeah it's very oh. much like the new coke i think they immediately realized like no let's go back to the monkeys classic <laughs> <laughs> no one wants these new ones um yeah and then who else I see? my mom used to always bring us to concerts which is kind of like thinking thinking back on it i'm like 
man, if I had kids and they were young, I would not be bringing them to concerts like my mom did. But I mean, it was tight. I'm glad she did. Yeah. Uh, we saw Boyz II Men and Montel Jordan was a pretty uh, memorable one. Um, she brought us. Oh, it was in Canada. Do you remember Eden Fest? Eden Fest. No, uh, vaguely sounds familiar. I forget where it, I. I forget where it was. Maybe Eden. I don't know if that's a place. Well, you can. would have been like right across the. You know, like the the lakes from pretty much where yeah. we are, right? So it's got to be around us, right? I mean, I don't. I don't think it was like. I don't remember it being super long of a drive. It yeah. was maybe like four hours. Um, maybe but it was like a, somewhere. It was like a three day uh, fest, and I remember the Cure played. Wow. Yeah, like Cure played. I remember seeing the Cure and like knowing of like Boys Don't Cry when they played that. I was like, oh, I know this song, but just like you know, I think I was like eight at the time, and I'm just like, why does that guy look like that? <laughs> He's all like you know looks like he does in like the 90s <laughs> 90s robert smith is like peak peak fashion um and then who else i think bush played that i think live played it um well they were bush x right in canada huh they had to be bush x in canada oh really yeah there was a bush like in the 60s or 70s like an old bush band oh, um, that had the copyright so they had to be bush x in canada right <laughs> okay. Somebody came after us for uh, with a cease and desist. Maybe I shouldn't talk about that on here. That's fine. Um, so we're trying to think of other names to call sweat. Oh, really? Okay. And it's fine. <laughs> we'll come up with a new one before the end of the podcast. Something We're going to say something. You're going to be like, this is it. That was a great thing. <laughs> new monkeys. Uh, new, new monkeys. The newer monkeys. Boom. Oh, that reminds me of like the new radicals. Remember, what was, what was their hit? <laughs> Don't let go. You got the music in you. Oh, yeah. Duh yeah i did not like that song nope I <laughs> but tried. it was everywhere <laughs> it was everywhere and and the guy they would always do the interview with the guy and he'd always be like yeah i'm like not in this bullshit music and it's like yeah you know you got that lyric about kicking courtney loves ass or something like i don't know <laughs> so where'd you kind of go from uh this first show like you mentioned getting into some of the local bands what who, who were some of the bands you gravitated to first uh like when i finally got into like like punk and hardcore yeah after that first sort of show you went to um i mean the local bands i remember i'm trying to think of like my first like band that like blew my mind that i loved probably no fucker mm -hmm. um john wayne severed head uh i object black ss those are uh how we are achilles those were like the bands that played all the time. Um, I remember like the first time I saw Tear It Up and I fucking lost my goddamn mind. I'm like, this is the greatest band in the whole world. They and had a lot of hype too. They were, they had like, they were Tear It Up when they first came out. It was like, they were the band. Yeah. It I was, remember being so excited to see them too. Yeah. And then uh, the first time I saw Nine Shocks Terror was actually with the dudes in No Fucker. And like, they were older than me and just like, I'd never seen. Have you ever like experienced when you're like friends with someone for a really long time and they've been into punk longer than you and you like never saw them mosh and then you see it and you're like, oh, this is like, like it's like the best thing ever. Like seeing someone come out of mosh retirement and just like lose their fucking shit. It's like, oh, it's like, it just melts my little heart. 
Uh, but yeah, so John like lost his goddamn mind for Nine Shocks Terror, and I'm like, okay, this is the greatest band in the whole fucking world. Like, so seeing them, I saw them at a Gloom Fest. I don't remember what year, maybe like 2004, mm-hmm. 2005. Um, but yeah, I'd say like the bands that I would see like all the time was like Another Breath, How We Are, Black SS. Um, and then Cut the Shit would come out. They were always great. Yeah. Uh, the Spark, who was mm-hmm. pre-pulling teeth. Great. Um, I was pre-pulling teeth. Yeah, that's right. I never made that connection. Um, oh, that's wild. Yeah, it was It was like, um, it was such a cool moment for, for DIY hardcore because it was like this moment where, you know, like it wasn't like, oh, we're going to be youth crew bands. We're going to be thrash bands. We're going to just, it was like, people are just like, we're just going to be a hardcore band. We're just going to be a punk band. And it was, uh, it's kind of crazy too. Cause um, like there was like a big tough guy scene. And like, I kind of like, I feel like I got into like punk being like, oh, I like street punk. I like fast, like circle pit punk. And like, I kind of was like, well, I'm not straight edge. So like, I don't really like the tough guy stuff. And like, those guys are usually douchebags. And then I like, like, I feel like they're just at one point was like some sort of bridge that happened. Cause those shows were pretty separate. When I first started going, it was like only punks, only like straight edge shows. And they were like, for a while, they were pretty separate. And then like outbreak would come around and that would kind of like be the bridge. Mm. Cause they, they were more like, they weren't tough guy, but they were like straight edge, you know? Um, but they were like, like faster and thrashier and so like you know you'd, you'd get like mixed more mixed shows and then like bane would come around and then they started putting like i don't know they would just put like the like locals on those like bigger shows um and then it just kind of started to get to like just punk shows and like just hardcore shows instead of you know like i don't know it just kind of like there was a bridge at some point and uh yeah it was it was just like really sick because like it was so separate before and then like meet like finally like meeting like the people that like would do those shows and i'm like oh they're not douchebags i'm just a child <laughs> well I, I like i you know like it's i guess famously a few years earlier that straight edge scene is is getting like international coverage for how yeah. huge it was how mm-hmm. intimidating it was like all these different things like i remember being on a school trip to the corning glass factory <laughs> and we're saying in the hotel room we finally get mtv and they have a whole special on about how violent straight edges in syracuse and it was like whoa the mtv's amazing i can't <laughs> believe they got this stuff on here um funny but was there any remnants of that kind of like you know that huge straight edge scene by that point because because it kind of it felt like it crested like i guess there's another victim and stuff still going and yeah um I'm trying to think of like the bands because that wasn't like super my thing um i mean i remember i thought that like throwdown was from syracuse because they were there like they played syracuse like <laughs> six times a year and then i remember when i moved out to la i found out that they were from orange county and i'm like wait what <laughs> i've seen that band like 20 times how and like i never tried to like they were just always playing um but no there was like uh there would be like the new year's day shows. I don't know if you ever heard about those, but like, there'd be like these like sick ass, like, you know, like 14 band new year's shows on new year's day. Um, and those were like pretty like tough guy. Um, 
who I'm trying to remember the guy's name that booked it. Oh man, like Dave is it the I'm trying to remember the guy's name too. I want to say Matt. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the legendary kind of booker yeah. as well for doing all those kind of like earth crisis, path of resistance, New Year's Day type shows. Yeah. I remember um yeah, like seeing seeing Earth Crisis and like just like everyone comes out of the woodwork for it and you're like, I've never seen any of these people before. Like I'm gonna say in the back, this is special. Um <laughs> and then I, I would see Freya all the time, which I shouldn't brag about that. <laughs> it, it's funny too how you know, you mentioned those New Year's Day Fest, and then there's also Hellfest starts there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Gloom Fest as well. Like, there's just so many of the sort of key festivals were happening around that time, once again, in upstate New York. Like, it was yeah. like, you mentioned Throwdown coming all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, well, these sort of like tentpole festivals were there. Like, yeah. it's like the punk rock Coachella. <laughs> yeah, kind <laughs> you know, of. The hardcore Coachella. <laughs> and look at Syracuse now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's still sick well yeah there's like i guess you know i'm a little out of touch but it, it feels like you know like these scenes almost you know like they just can't last right like uh a lot of these a lot of like the you know especially that a big straight edge scene like that like you're gonna have a hard time maintaining those kind of numbers of straight edge kids yeah i think to maintain that kind of big scene like that yeah and i think like you know there's always kind of someone that comes along to like try and pick up the booking and like for a long time it was uh ryan hex who ran hex records hanging like a hex yeah dancing. that's yeah. right um and he moved he's in portland now um and yeah definitely like you know which i would never shame someone for leaving upstate new york but like a definitely a big part of like syracuse's music scene died when hex left um i stayed on his floor yeah yeah, when I wrote you for the swarm, we stayed at his house and then oh, I stayed on yeah. his floor way back when. So um yeah, so like he he is like, you know, it's funny because like we're not even like super tight. Like obviously, like I would be really excited to see him and I probably have like hours long conversation with him, but like the way he like changed my life just from booking the shows, like I don't know, like I'm just like so grateful for him forever because of that. I'm like, man, like, you know, those shitty little venues in those fucking walls like changed my whole life. And I'm like, yeah. you know, yeah. like sometimes I look back and I'm like, man, like some kids don't get that. Like, yeah, you know? like it's, I've kind of like, you know, come to think of it more almost like religion. Like, it's yeah. like these are like these experiences that we have, you know, yeah. and they, and they, and, and it's, you carry it with you your whole life. Like these, like they're almost like communion, like experiences at certain mm-hmm. times in these shows. Some of the shows you forget and some of these shows you wish you for, could forget, which I guess is also like church. <laughs> uh, I remember one of the shows at Westcott was uh, Rambo. Municipal Waste might have played that show as well. Oh no, they did. And then I've gotten in a, a debate with someone. I think Annihilation Time played, but they are like, no, that was a different show. You're getting it confused with. But in my in my memories, which that would make be- sense. Those three of them playing together, right? Like yeah. that totally makes sense. Era wise too, and everything. Um, but. Like, so for Rambo, everyone would, like, dress up in costume. Yeah. But, like, a bunch of people didn't have costumes, so they just went outside and, like, went through someone's recycling and put on, like, made, like, a cardboard army. And then Municipal Waste at the time is, like, was, like, still not huge. So they were bringing, like, the mini exercise trampoline with them. (laughs) So, like, to, like, stage time when there's no stage. So it was just, like, so sick. And it was, like, 
in the summer and it was like gross and hot. <laughs> We're all just like losing our minds. I went with my friend Derek and he had like a helmet with a dildo glued to it. And <laughs> he's like, I'm a unicorn. I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> it, it, municipal waste, I think, you know, is one of the most incredible, fun live bands in any era. Oh, yeah. They're like still this day. And Rambo is a band that I think at the time, I, I don't think I appreciate it. And now looking back on it, I, I would love to see them again because those shows were so fun. Yeah, it was. I'm I'm like so pumped that I was able to catch that. Um, yeah, I think about now, like sometimes you're like, you know, when you get older and you're like, oh, man, if I do this, and I'm going to have to do this and this and this and like everything's like you have to make things work and you have to like fit it in your schedule. And like, and like at that time it was like, there's a show, fuck the world. (laughs) We got to get there. Like as soon as I got a car, like we would be in like Philly all the time. We'd go to New York, we'd go to Boston. Like we would drive anywhere. Like, cause like, you know, East coast, everything's like five hours or less away. Mm -hmm. Like everything's just like, bing, bing, bing. you know, you can go to all these cities. So I remember I would like go see like international noise conspiracy a bunch in Philly. And like, I never really went to like too many, like, actual hardcore shows in philly so i don't really know what that scene was like but um yeah i I did see international a bunch in philly and i'm glad i saw this yeah i guess philadelphia like once again it's there's so much different stuff coming out of there right like Mm -hmm. it it, i think at any given time it's you know like uh i I remember going to a couple shows there around that time period as well like hardcore shows and and like at the church yeah the church and i'm trying to remember what was it called the stalag that was like the punk hardcore venue there. there one time i went there i went there twice and it was two different locations the first time someone had taken a shit beside the toilet <laughs> and it's like why you made the effort to go into the bathroom you're beside the toilet like just come on <laughs> like no i went to uh i think i was 15 it was before i could drive and Toxic Nar- Narcotic was playing a um, a fest in Boston. And I was like, no one wanted to go with me. I'm like, fuck you. Well, I'll, I'll take a train. So I like took a train out there. Just go by myself. <clears throat> um, and it was like, I got there right at two. It started at two. Toxic Narcotic didn't play till like one in the morning. Of course. Um, yeah. But like, I remember I got there early. There wasn't a ton of people. There was in like a Polish American home. It was like upstairs in a bar. There's a bunch of like old guys there that are like members that are like nuisance ass kids. And um, I'm like there by myself. And I hate fighting. Like I hate seeing people fight. Like even if it's like deserved, I just like, I don't know like why, but I just like immediately have to like get between it and end it. Um, And so like I saw this kid, this like looked like a young kid. He looked like he was like maybe like, 16, 17 at the most. And then there's like these older dudes that were like skinhead dudes. And there's probably like six or seven of them. They were just beating the fuck out of him. And everyone like was unfazed by it. And just like the band didn't stop playing. Like no one like tried to like, and so I just like got in between it and like pulled the guy off. And I was like 15 years old. And then the dude is like, legit getting his like face kicked in is like i don't need your help and like pushes me off i'm like clearly you do there's just like a pool of blood and then like the the guy who booked the show like finally gets up and is like eh. and he just like takes the kid throws him out gets a mop like mops it up and i'm like what the fuck like everyone was unfazed and i'm like what the fuck is this and i'm like man syracuse is special because this shit would never happen and then uh maybe like two three hours later 
um, this band, I think it was for the worst, maybe. Yeah, they were, yeah, I remember them. Or poor excuse, maybe, or for for the worst, or I think I know for the worst played. It was either, there was another band. Fuck, I don't know. Whatever. It was like either their set or the set after theirs, and someone like shit behind the guitar amps, but nobody saw the person do it. So like no one realized, and then everyone's like, "Oh, what is?" That? So then the guy who booked the show came back with the same like gross bloody mop. Oh, that poor mop had a lot of duty that day. Literally. Literally. Oh man. And it was just oh. like like this place is gnarly, and then just like all like everyone just got like really belligerently drunk and talks narcotic played, and it was sick. So was it like kind of a crusty fest or like a, or like a, a like a street punky kind of crusty fest? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't hardcore. It was more on the punk side. Um I guess like the second day was more like uh some straight edge bands play the next day. Um it's funny because my boyfriend now is from Massachusetts and he was at that show but he was at the second day. He was at day 2. <laughs> he wouldn't go to the first hardcore. one. Yeah, which is so funny. Cuz I, I like, imagine that room Sorry, go on. They had like a, they made a record. They pressed a record of that, of like all the bands that played. Um, and uh, I think it was called For the Worst Fest. But I think For the Worst was actually a band as well. I don't know. Maybe not. No, I'm, I think that For the Worst sounds definitely familiar. Or right? wait, Concrete Facelift, maybe? I don't know. That sounds familiar too. Uh, I think called Concrete Facelift. But yeah, so they like had a record. They like pressed a record of that fest. And I like showed Mike one day. I'm like, oh, I went to like this this shitty fest in boston he's like holy shit my dad used to go to that fucking polish home and like i went to day two of that fest and i was <laughs> like yeah i was like i don't know i just like took the like train and then like walked back to the greyhound station he's like that part of town is so sketch i'm like, eh. <laughs> like so, did they, vision. so did they only press day one as a record no it was uh, it was like i want to say uh it wasn't every band but it was like a handful of bands from day one, handful of bands from day two. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but yeah. What a weird, like, <laughs> what a weird punk thing we have here where you go to a show, there's extreme violence and also <laughs> someone taking the shit behind yeah. an amplifier. Like you don't really see this in other, other genres, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what a life what a life so what were your first memories of wrestling that's another one where like i don't remember my first like because my i had an uncle who was like obsessed mm -hmm. um and so it was just always on and like my mom was into it up to a point she like got turned off in the attitude era um but like she was obsessed with it she was obsessed with razor ramon um and it's funny because uh she <laughs> we went to he was doing a signing at a pizza hut before like a monday night raw when like raw would film in like utica which is crazy to think now because utica yeah. capacity was only like five thousand, you know um and she was trying to go to the signing without us <laughs> and then we found out because it's like i was like four and then my sisters were like like seven and eight or eight and nine or whatever and we're all like we're gonna meet rosa ramon she's like uh no i didn't get tickets uh uh she, we're, like, she's like i thought joey was gonna bring you my uncle 
And he he's the one that told us because he was just like trying to blow up her spot and she was yeah. so mad because like she was trying to like go and like you know holler at him. Yeah. And then we're like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I remember it being like two dollars for an autograph, and he just put the cash in like this like big jug and he's sitting at like a table at Pizza. I'm like, man, how far they've come. <laughs> it's so weird how it was like accessible like that. Yeah. Too, you know, like it was uh it, it it was it feels like it was so like you're saying it's so far removed from where it is today yeah yeah like we went and like you know my uncle would usually make us dress up when we would go um and my sister was obsessed with doink so she painted up like a clown and like somehow he was walking around on the inside before they had doors and like was looking at all the people and he saw my sister so for his match he came out with a shopping cart with like a present and he like found my sister because we were like you know in the first couple of rows and he found my sister and gave her and it was like one of those like shitty foam belts but it, it was like fully wrapped up like and it was so sick and he was just like super pumped and she was just like ah That's and then awesome. uh, yeah at one one event i got um bret hart's glasses what yeah right were my these sister, tv tapings or house shows my sister was pissed uh, yeah <laughs> You're the envy of every kid. Every kid <laughs> in the arena wants to be you. Uh, I got his glasses on a house show. Uh, my sister got the present on a filmed Monday Night Raw. Um, they don't show, they show her like in the crowd, but they don't show the handoff, oh. which is like, so what? Yeah, I was like, how did they, like they show him coming out with a cart and everything too. And then it just like cuts to like, you know, like things and then it cuts to a, uh, you know vignettes and shit and like later this thing was he heel at that point maybe is that why uh, they're like oh we can't show him being nice to a kid <laughs> but also, then they showed her and she's like on tv cheering for him that's true clown, but you know maybe it's creepy to have a clown giving a gift to a child like that's just something that like like hearing bees like we just have a visceral like ah what's going on <laughs> it, it's it the one time it's man like it's like you know what this is this is not yeah this is inappropriate <laughs> i gotta draw the line here yeah it's funny because they used to tape up here i think in hamilton too and it was like you know a tiny room like they yeah. would do like tv tapings up there and yeah like once again it feels like it's it's just the the jump from it is just so different it's gone from being something that was almost like folk art level of accessibility to being something that now is like you know like a major sporting level of entertainment yeah yeah i remember just like seeing luna in person and just like being like she's the coolest woman in the world oh man what a lady she seems uh, pretty cool like all the stories you hear about her seems like she was like a pretty fucking awesome person yeah um yeah i wish i would have like you know been able to meet her as an adult and like actually be able to talk to her but i'm glad i saw her perform yeah. at least once in my life you know would you ever go to the hotels afterwards and wait for the wrestlers coming back no i remember um a couple of times like we would just like hang out at the afterwards um at the venue oh man i have another story after um like because in utica it was like such a small venue that like 
there was not like a whole ton of security. So you could just see all the wrestlers driving, but we never went to the hotels, which like, you know, thinking now, like it's kind of creepy to wait around like for hours until wrestlers leave. So like, I'm really glad that like <laughs> my family never like went to hotels after <laughs> to try and be like, Hey, cause like, you know, it's kind of creepy. Um, but fast forward to like, uh, maybe 2005, 2004, five, six, somewhere around there. Um, they, they stopped playing, they stopped, uh, wrestling in Utica for a long time. Um, or like really all of upstate New York, because do you remember hearing about how like Shawn Michaels got beat up at a bar Yeah, in Syracuse? So like upstate, like they used to hit upstate all the time. And then they kind of stopped after that because it'd be like you to go Syracuse back to back. So since they would skip Syracuse, it didn't make a whole lot of sense for them to do that. Cause it would be like, there just like, wasn't a, like Utica wasn't a profitable enough spot for mm. that to be like, we have to stop there, you know? Um, so it was like their first time back in Utica. It was just a house show. And I went with my uncle who always has to dress up and he would always like have characters. Um, and he was always like ready to fight people if they wanted to. <laughs> um, and he decided to bring my cousin who is, uh, like six, two, um, just like very loud Southern girl. Um, who's probably like 15, 20 years older than me. And she was just like, she got so hammered, so fucking hammered before the show started. Cause my uncle also likes to get there like dumb early so he can like meet and interact with all the fans. And then like WWE magazine was there. So they like took a picture of him, put him in the magazine and he's like, I'm famous. Like he was pumped. Um, and of course the magazine was just like shitting on him and like, was like, this is what you like the do's and don'ts of like. <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was still pumped so like whatever do you um, have that issue huh do you have I that do. issue i do i think i want to say cena's on the cover um i'll have to pull it out. i don't i don't know where it is i know i have it here um i'll take a picture and i'll send it to you yeah, i gotta it's see that yeah fucking funny um but anyway so my cousin gets really drunk and she's like a big girl and like you know she's like a house and she's just tall anyways so we're in like the second row and i remember at the time I like was starting to like, I wasn't watching as religiously as I used to. So like, I didn't know all the characters and it was like, right when like spirit, the spirit squad was a mm. thing. And uh, so like they came out and then Sean Michaels was there and you know, he would like cut the, cut the sides off his shirt. So he just had like the head hole on his shirt and he took it off and he threw it into the crowd at like this child and my drunk ass cousin was like i want that she just like reached across a bunch of people and ripped it out of this child's hands the kid starts crying everyone's like <laughs> fuck you lady and i'm just like oh, i don't know her oh. <laughs> she's, she's just straight being an asshole at that point so then everyone just kind of like booed her like to the point where like the match kind of like was just like put on hold until like everyone <laughs> like with this white trash woman in the crowd <laughs> she gets ejected and then like everything continues but uh yeah that was the whole thing did they throw her out oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we came out and she was literally just like passed out in a bush <laughs> like, uh, see but in a different time like a few years <laughs> earlier that was like what wrestling was all about right like, I know. you know uh, <laughs> It's it's funny when the hotel thing like cause I I had never seen that and then I think it was SummerSlam was here 
uh, a couple years ago and I went to the hotel afterwards um, and I just couldn't believe how many adults were there with their kids and almost like they're using their kids as bait yeah. to, to, so they can talk to the wrestlers. Yeah. It's like yep. 2 a.m. too. Yeah. Yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> it's a weird cult. It's like a, a very uh, a very intense fan culture at times. Yeah. And I think like, I think it's cool to a point where it's like, you know, they like hundred percent, like you need the fans to be able to do it. And like, mm -hmm. you know, you need their support and everything, but like, sometimes I feel like there's not that line. Like people aren't going to a hotel to like hang out. Like they're going there to go to sleep and like, you know, like turn their brain off and like, you know, be a person. So like, there is that kind of like, all right, <laughs> don't want to be a dick, but like, also like, at what point do I get to shut a door and like be by myself? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, cause uh, I guess, I guess in music you would have levels of insulation, you know, like by the time you're like, you know, BTS or Justin Bieber or something, right? <laughs> like you got like people around you, but like the, most of these wrestlers, it's just them. I guess they're yeah. huge though. So no one's going to kidnap them. <laughs> it's a lot harder to carry away John Cena than is Justin Bieber. <laughs> If you're gonna grab one i mean you just can't see him though so it's hard to steal him yeah, that's true that's the other thing he's impossible to get <laughs> hey. um so when did you move out to san francisco or bay area or la sorry uh i moved to la in 2006. what was it that brought you out there originally uh i came out here for school um, I didn't really want to go to school. And then it was just like one of those things where it's like, you got to go to school. And I'm like, okay, fuck it. I'll go to LA then. Like, I was like, I don't want to do winter anymore. I'll go to LA. And so, uh, I went to Otis out here. Uh, I went for animation. Uh, I went for two years and then, you know, the great, uh, mini depression, big depression, whatever you want to call it of 2008 hit when like, just like the whole world got turned, like, you know, uh, I couldn't get a fruit for a loan, so I didn't go back. Um, and then, but while I was there, I started working at Amoeba and, uh, and I got, you know, dragged into the record culture. <laughs> Were you already? I mean, I, I was there, but not yeah. to the degree, you know? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, when did you start record collecting? Uh, probably. I was probably like. 12, 13, it was before I started going to shows, but like not that much, not that much before I started going to shows. Um, and the way that I got like really into it, well, my mom always had like a Groucho Marx picture disc that I was like obsessed with. I'm like, this is so sick and you can play it. Um, but like, you know, she had a record player, but we always just played like CDs and cassettes. Um, what so was like, Groucho Marx? Sorry, what, what, huh? was it, what was Groucho Marx from? Was it like an old record or is it something like a reissue? Oh, when was it? When no, was it was an old, like, oh, well. when was it? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I would imagine if it was her, she probably had it from the seventies or something, but yeah, it was just like this, like weird picture disc that I was just like, man, this is so sick. Um, but it was just like in one of those like clear plastic sleeves. So there's like, you know, no liner notes or anything on it. Um, have you ever seen that since? Cause I've never seen that. No, actually I haven't. And I've never like thought to look for it. I'll ask her about it. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she was like, then I became like interested in it. And then um, 
I was just like, oh, can we like buy more records? And I would like, we'd go to like Salvation Army and I'd like look through their records, but it was always just like pop vocals and classical music. And I'm like, eh. Um, but then she like saw in the newspaper because she would always go to garage sales and stuff. And there was this guy that was just having like a record sale in his garage, like only records. And so my mom's like, you want to go to this? And I'm like, yeah. And then I just like got a grip of Alice Cooper records. And like the dude was like so cool. And he was like selling them for like 10 bucks each. And he's just like, ah, just give me $10. And I got like, you know, 12 records or some shit. Like I got like every Alice Cooper record. And uh, he was just like excited that I was excited. And he was like, you like Alice Cooper? I'm like, yeah, he's sick. <laughs> I'm like, duh, I've seen Wayne's World. Um, and so I just kind of got the bug from that. And like Alice Cooper had a lot of like gimmicky record sleeves, you know, so I think that like kind of really drew me in. And then um, when I met no fucker, Jesse, the guitarist, he's like, um, Notorious. Er, he may have been playing drums at the time. Yeah, he was playing drums at the time when I first met him, but then he he moved to guitar. Um, but yeah, he's like an encyclopedia. So uh, he he turned me on to so much stuff and he was just like, he has such a crazy record collection. So he really like kind of like gave me like the bug in terms of like, oh, you can't just like, there's not only just like classic music you can get on it, like classic radio rock, like, you can get like so much shit on vinyl and like, look at all these seven inches and look at, you know, just like his collection was insane. Um, so like, I also feel like I kind of cheated a little bit in punk because he was like my mentor and like, you know, I didn't like, I had like the gateways of like, Oh, misfits and Ramones and the clash. And then it's like, I met Jesse and I'm like, Oh, flex the pink Indians frantic. Like, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> I just like went to the front of the line, <laughs> move, move aside posers. <laughs> I, I was on like a secret record collector message board with him at one point. Oh, yeah. And he was like, yeah, he had a crazy list on there, like state oh, children he, and all that kind of stuff, like really obscure shit. Yeah, he's he's so sick. And like uh, I hadn't talked to him for a while and they uh, they recently started playing again, like in the last two or three years. And um, they came out to L.A. and I was like hanging out with them and I was just like, why did you guys like me? I was so obnoxious when I was a kid. Because <laughs> like I think Jesse's like five years older than me, but John's like, you know, 15 15 maybe 20 years no I don't think he's 20 years older than me but like I'm like why did you put up with me like I was so hyper as a teen I, I think I was like always loud and yelling I'm just like yeah I think that's because we're all we all have that a little bit in us right and that's what draws us to punk yeah and like when you meet another kid like that you kind of want to you were like oh I was there once you know like <laughs> you're gonna mellow it one day you know, I, I look back on myself now. I was like, I was a fucking punisher. That's why I have like patience with the punishers for forever because I was there. I was there right there with them. <laughs> You're like, you'll learn the ways one day. Yeah. Yeah. You learn to chill eventually. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's fine too. No fucker records go for a lot of money now too. Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy they're playing again. Um, Yeah. I got to, I got to see John last time I was in New York and that made me really happy. He's like, I don't know, he's like my punk dad. What's the wildest seven inch or, or record that's ever come in to Amoeba that you've seen? Like just like something that you're like, holy shit. Like not even money necessarily top price wise, but just like something you're like, I can't believe I've seen I'm seeing this. I mean, I was really pumped when I saw a bullet, an original bullet. Um, I just what? never thought that I would see that ever 
and like it was like pristine um and uh i just came across uh an iron maiden soundhouse tapes and like yeah and that's the third one we've gotten at amoeba since i've worked there which i mean i've worked there for a long time now but um yeah that was pretty wild uh hmm we got it's weird like i i swear that like the like covid break (laughs) like quarantine break just like fucked my memory up there's so many things i'm like oh yeah that thing happened huh like it's just like there's like this hard divide now of like things i just don't remember anymore um but recently we got like a prince little red corvette acetate of a different take that was never yeah that was never pressed um and that's just like one of those things where you just kind of got to wing it like we just got to put a value on this because this is never sold and it probably will never like show up again it's the only one yeah i mean that's it sometimes they do acetates and runs of like five but usually not um Mm. but yeah so yeah we found that and uh it's funny because i'm always like i still am of the mindset of like no somebody who like really wants this i want them to get it like i don't want them to not be able to buy it because of money and like fuck that but then like you know also you're like Everyone's like, yeah, somebody else is just going to buy it. It makes someone pay an obscene amount. So yeah. Fine. I think we but, ended up putting it out for like 2000 and it sold in a day. <laughs> so. Well, that's the thing now. It's like the, the prices of collectibles, like all collectibles has just gone so crazy. It's insane. Like it's funny when we, um, when Amoeba like closed the old store, essentially they just like wrapped all the bins up and then put them out at the new store. And instead of like going through them and like changing the prices, we just were like, we're opening the doors, come on in. And like, we sold so much shit, but it's like all the stuff that was in print before quarantine, like is out of print and you can't get and everything's like triple the price now. But it was funny. Cause like, I remember like coming in and seeing age of coral on the wall and it wasn't even like, it was, it wasn't a first press, but it wasn't like the misprint like profile one what's on the run dmc labels or whatever yeah yeah. so it wasn't even that one and it was like on the wall for like 180 bucks or something and i was just like i just like walked in and laughed i'm like someone's out of their goddamn mind (laughs) and i just like like pulled one of like the other record pricers i'm like yo your boy's out of his mind putting that record up there like that's my favorite record and like 100 come on like come on (laughs) and then like you know i come in two days later it's fucking gone (laughs) and like why yeah well, I, I was gonna say that's almost like a good price for that thing at this point because, like, it's just, yeah, like it's exploded and like there's not really. I heard about I heard about someone selling a fixed vengeance for ten thousand dollars, <laughs> cash, um, and and the person flying in to pay them the the ten thousand dollars, and it's just like wow, we are in a a new era for it's, yeah record collecting and collectible like there like was a page for like granted original once again like a one-of-a-kind original page from a spider-man comic but that sold for three million dollars the other day shut up yeah people have too much money yeah it feels like it it's and it's also i guess like the people that would be the ideal market for this stuff are finally at an age where they have disposable income to spend stupid amounts of money well i guess lots of a lot of disposable income <laughs> a lot of disposable income mind you if i'm like a billionaire that's what i'm buying 
You know, like <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I want to buy the page where Spider-Man turns into Venom for the first time. Like, fuck it, I'm a millionaire. It's better than buying like <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I was it's funny, a friend of mine like texted me and I've been trying to get him like whenever I find cool records of like bands he loves because he loves really obscure <laughs> shit. I'm always like, yo, do you need this? He's like, nah, I'm, I just don't like I'm not into records. Like, I just don't care, you know. He's like, I just care to listen to music. I'm like okay and he texted me like a few months ago he's like you're gonna be so pumped and i'm like what's up he's like i'm finally into records and i'm like what an awful time to get into yeah, records. you picked the wrong <laughs> oh. oh that's what i think every time like anytime someone puts up a sale list or anything like that i'm like oh my gosh i'm glad i spent yeah so much time getting into debt back then because <laughs> i really i couldn't yeah. afford to do that now sometimes i'm like should i just sell my shit nah yeah, I know. That's the thing. It's like when I start thinking, like, what would I like to get rid of? And it's like, well, that's the hard part. Like, I don't know none of it. <laughs> like, Yeah. It's also like, I'm so curious to see, like, how long will this last? Like, how long will this boom last? You know, like, yeah, well, there's a there's a doo-wop collector thing, right? Like, it's funny. I met I'm, I was talking yeah. to some guy, right? And he was talking about the talking about he was talking about cashing out his flying nun records collection. And then he's like, yeah, you know, the doo-wop thing. And I'm like, yeah. You never want to be the person with a massive doo-wop collection that you're looking to clear out five years after all the collectors die off. Yeah. Yep. So. But like, it's weird. I just don't see like the breaks anytime soon. No. Like, and especially with like all the new vinyl, like, I don't know, I guess it's cause like now many more people work from home mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of people just stayed working at home. So like now they want, to like do more things in their home which includes listening to records um but like like so when we put our record out like our record got delayed because adele uh adele like took over all the pressing plants yeah she wanted five hundred thousand records right yeah so like everything got put on hold for adele and i'm just like that's so insane to me because like who is buying an adele record and rushing home to play it like everyone's just streaming it yeah like of course people are listening to adele yes and i'm not like fuck it i mean kind of i'm like fuck adele but um like you know like no one's like like waiting for that like warm vinyl sound of adele well i love this set this is all started here with the adele first adele seven inch all the way back (laughs) when um i remember like uh rich who was like the the press uh guy at beggars for for fucked up and, and stuff and probably adele too uh, was like, you should take the seven and she's going to get really, she's going to go places. And I'm like, really? You think? And I, and <laughs> here we are, you know, 500,000 albums later. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's weird. Cause like, I think it's almost become like for like a lot of normal people, like the same way you'd have like a coffee table book Yeah. another time. Right. Like you'd be like, Oh, this is my record. Here are my four records. Like my yeah. Adele record, my, uh, Drake record and my, you know and it's it's yeah like it feels like you know which is kind of cool like i know i've always like thought like if i was going to whittle my collection down to like maybe just five records what five (laughs) records would it be probably Mm -hmm. not the adele record or the drake record (laughs) maybe though maybe (laughs) oh my god that'd be so hard it's hard it's really hard you know what i'm really like just this happened just like a week ago is um like a bag of my, I discovered a bag of my records got stolen. Oh um, no, I'm sorry to hear that. And it was, 
like a grip of all of my favorites. So I'm just like, and I'm just like, that's stupid on me to like ever like go to a DJ night with all your favorite records. Like they were my most expensive records, but they were like, it was like Danzig two, like seven of my thin Lizzy records, you know, just like my fucking, like my, like your stuff. Yeah. That like, I would always bring to DJ nights with me, even if I wasn't doing those kinds of DJ nights, just cause I'm like, well, what if someone comes and like, we want to switch it to like a thin Lizzie night, like fuck it, you know. So I just like always have a grip with me, and then like you know, even some like stupid, like I had like a Mary J. Blige single, like a twelve inch with me, um, and like ESG best of, you know, just like a bunch of like randos. But I like always had that bag with me for DJing, and I like realized it was stolen the other day when I like went to go DJ, and then I was like, God damn it! And then I was just like kept thinking of the other records that are in there, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> just getting pissed. But then I'm like. Man, to find like a Danzig two now, it's gonna be like two hundred bucks. You find are the, the one person who's gonna find it though. Yeah, and that's the thing. I'm like, I'm around a lot of records. Like, I'll be able to find it. But like, it's also like a bummer. I also had like sucks, a copy yeah. of um, Ramones Leave Home, but it was like gold stamp promo. And like, I have another copy of it, but this one, um, it was like it was sent to a radio station and. <laughs> Who the DJ that it got sent to gave it to a friend and was like, You can have this. I just don't get it <laughs> in like blue pen on the back, which like I fucking love. So like I almost like that more than like, you know. So I was yeah. like, man, like, of course I'll find leave home again, but like never gonna find that again. I'm kind of all the uh, that's the other thing now with record collecting where I'm like, I'm first the way I didn't mean to diminish losing those records, by the way, when I said like oh, no. you're gonna find them again, you're because you're in the right place. Big because that yeah. is the nightmare scenario, and that's probably why. In addition to being terrible at it, I don't DJ um, because I don't <laughs> yeah. want to lose my records. And also, once again, I'm, I, I'm never, I've never seemed to have what people want to hear. No matter what <laughs> they want to hear, I don't have it. Um, yeah. But it, it's, uh, I always appreciate getting, like you're saying, those records that have personality. Like I know everyone's mm-hmm. obsessed with like dead mint, finding the mintest copy of something. But yeah, like I want what you're saying. Like I want a note or I want like, yeah. songs circled or like some other shit yeah. on it where it's like this is authentically from that time period yeah or like i love when i find like pictures in 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 records and first like i know it's like kind of creepy but i can never throw them out because i'm like this will <laughs> never exist again and like i don't know those fucking people but i'm like oh like someone like went through like you know the trouble of developing this photo and like put it in a record because it's like you know probably their like record that they like together or whatever did you ever uh, find like what's the weirdest thing you found in a record? I will say in my time working at Amoeba, I have found two photos, two different records, like maybe like five, six years apart, of photos of people I fucking knew. Whoa. <laughs> I like reached out to them and was like, I just found this photo and I sent them both. Like so crazy. That what is crazy. Can- yeah. And one of them, one of them was crazy because it was like my friend so my friend who used to work in amoeba stopped working there he hadn't worked there for like 10 years at this point um and it was his mom who had died like kind of recently it was a photo of her and like the only reason i knew i never met his mom but he was like posting a lot of pictures of her on the internet at the time and i was like that looks like his his mom and then i like reached out to him and like apparently he gave his records to a friend and the friend finally sold them to Amoeba. So like, it wasn't even like he sold his records before he moved. Like it was like, 
went through a couple of hands wow. and then I happened to be pricing and I found it and I'm like, Hey, and he's like, Oh my God. And I like sent it to him and he was like, so pumped, but I'm like, man, what are the chances? And like, I don't know. I just thought that was like a really special thing. Oh, definitely. Uh, Especially after losing someone close to yeah. that, like it, that would feel very much like something really important. Yeah. Cause like, I think about like the photos of like, I have of like, you know, I only have a few photos of like me with, like the close people in my life that have died. And like, if I had like a physical photo of that, that I never had, mm-hmm. you know, that like mm-hmm. made its way to me, I'd be like, so fucking pumped. So well, I and also, just... you're like searching for stuff cosmic like that. When you lose someone, you're searching for meaning yeah. in the universe. And so yeah. to have something like that happen just gives you like so much, yeah, you know, like, I mean, that's such a cool, crazy that. Wow. I was hoping for like a sheet of acid story. I heard about someone. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, right? we get that. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. I'm trying to think of what else. Um, I don't know. We, the, oh man, there was for a while we were getting this series. There was this guy. I never like thought to Google him to see if he was like anyone. I, I assume he's just like, you know, regular dude that was a record collector, but he, his name was Bob Goomer mm-hmm. and he would draw himself in record covers. <laughs> and we got like seven of them. <laughs> like with the band or just like, so there's like a ccr record there's like oh there's goomer and it's like, <laughs> like simon and garfunkel and goomer and there's just like some records now whenever i see that i'm like oh where's goomer and like i want to draw him in there yeah <laughs> and that's like, like yeah that's not funny to anyone except for me <laughs> no I, I think that's amazing that's like you know that uh what's that mingering mike that's the story about the guy that made all the fake records of himself like all no. these like uh, there's like a, a story but a guy goes to like a, a thrift store i remember reading about it in like wax poetics magazine and he's at no he's at a flea market and he finds like a box of records and they're all handmade covers he's like i've never seen anything like it. and he pulls out the record and the record itself is handmade out of cardboard but there's like it's not actually pressed it's just like someone's drawn the grooves on and there's a label and he buys this whole stack and it's this guy who had for his whole life dreamt up this whole fake musical universe that he was a part of yeah there's a book i'll send you the a photo of the book because it's like this guy collected all this art and like they put out a book about it but it's amazing but this is even better you got to do a short zine of these five or six records at least I always I really wish that like he was on like the Frampton comes alive because like in my head I'm just like Goomer comes alive, Goomer comes yes. alive. <laughs> we never <laughs> got it. <laughs> oh, one day hopefully the rest of his collection comes through the door and you can finally see where where else he put himself in music the story history. Of Bob Goomer. Uh, does Benicio del Toro ever? Is he ever come in? probably i don't know i hear he's a huge record collector i always heard stories about him yeah like i heard stories that he has wantless that he carries around with him and stuff oh wow i am so clueless to like any sort of like any sort of famous person ever like i'm (laughs) sure i've like had many interactions and i'm just like oh yeah like i ring up uh the dexter guy michael c hall oh yeah yeah i had no idea who he was he was kind of a I'm like, fuck this guy. And everyone's like, oh my God, that was Dexter. I'm like, who the hell is Dexter? And then I literally go on my lunch break and a bus goes by with his face on it. And I like <laughs> look up and there's a billboard. I'm like, I guess this guy's a big deal, huh? <laughs> <laughs> huh? He was with like uh his girlfriend at the time and they were like, 
yeah, I asked for ID because I didn't know who it was and he was using a credit card. And the girl is like, as if I'm not there, was like, is she serious? And he's like, it's okay. It makes me feel not so, you know. And then he like gives me the credit card. I'm like, ew. <laughs> serial killer in real life? Come on. <laughs> like, oh, like whoever this is, fuck them. And then everyone's yeah. like, oh my God. And then it was just funny. Like, like the timing couldn't have been more perfect of like the bus going by <laughs> the billboard right there. He is a very um, normal looking person. Like, you know, Benicio del Toro, yeah. I think like you bring him up and you don't notice. I would be like, come on, Tuna. <laughs> Like that oh. dude, but like, you know, that other guy, it's like, yeah, he looks just like a dude. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he plays in like a, like a, like, um, Joy Division style band, I think. Does he? Yeah. He's got like some like indie or Interpol style, at least type band. Dang. Yeah. There's like a lot of people like, uh, the, um, that like have this, like, you know, these other side projects that are all very Joy Division like. Hmm or interpol like it seems like that's just like a very popular sound for people to wind up at you know what's really funny is uh kind of related kind of unrelated um interpol just like sparked it i was djing once um i went i ended up going back to new york for like a month and a half at one point and i went to the city and tom tom club was playing a show in brooklyn mm -hmm. and i was like man i gotta dj this show and like i didn't really want to travel with records but i was also like if i could dj a tom tom club show that'd be so sick so I like hit up the venue and they're like, yeah, come DJ. And I'm like, ah, oh, sit. Like, I didn't think it was going to happen. So I'm like, oh, sick. So I just like brought like a case 45s. And then the morning of they call me or they email me and they're like, hey, FYI, Andy Rourke is going to DJ tonight as well. And I hate the fucking Smiths like so much. <laughs> but I'm just like, all right, cool. Um, and whatever, you know, I was still like, this is going to be tight. So I go there and uh i i start the night and i dj up until tom tom clubs tom tom club plays go watch them they're insane they play psycho killer i didn't realize at the time that tina weymouth had written that song so like she comes out starts playing the bass line and i'm just like on the side and i'm like shut up but i like say it so loud that she can hear me and she like glares at me and then after the show she comes up to me and she's like uh you told me to shut up and i'm like no <laughs> I'm like, I never thought I would hear that song live. She's like, I wrote the fucking song. I'm like, I love you. Um, but she had a twin and her twin sister was there and it was it was sick. Anyways, Andy York DJed after they played. So like everyone's pumped, everyone's like on a high, everyone's dancing. It was at Brooklyn Bowl, so it's like decent sized venue. Um he starts DJing and he <laughs> was DJing on a laptop with like Windows Media Player in like itunes like he doesn't have like a dj thing he's just playing in two different like music players um and he like played like slow interpol songs and then he played uh beck loser at half speed Whoa. like i don't think he did it intentionally no, <laughs> like, screwed, not screwed in chop style <laughs> he, was, he was just like hammered <laughs> and just like and the sound guy was like uh and the sound guy was like freaking out and then he's like he like comes and finds me because i was like talking to some people and i'm like i don't know if i can dj after this like what the fuck <laughs> um and the sound guy comes up to me and he's like hey do you want to dj again and i was like well yeah and he's like i'm gonna tell you i was like but, like we can't kick him off like he's who he is you know and he was like he's like yeah i'm gonna tell him that like the the wire the cd connection isn't working so we got to go back to vinyl like you can't argue that 
<laughs> so like we did and it was like fine and he was like super super nice to me but he was like hammered and i guess like at the end of the night i was talking to the people and they're like yeah he just likes to dj so we can get like free drinks for him and his friends and i was like why don't you guys just give him free drinks so you don't have to like <laughs> yeah pay him not to dj um but he was really nice and he ended up like you know like because i was gonna take the train home he's like no 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 and like he like got a cab and like took the cab with me to like the place that i was staying to make make sure i got home okay so like i have nothing bad to say about andy work what did you change your mind about the smiths are you now like fuck the smiths (laughs) (laughs) it's funny as hardcore kids it, it breaks one of two ways right like as a punk kid hardcore kid you go either you're you're into the smiths or you fucking hate the smiths and that's pre morrissey you know everything that's happened with morrissey in the last few years like i mean just like on like a music sonic level it's something that's so divisive yeah i just i always loved i always loved the uh the cure and i was like i don't like there's so many other good bands like why do you like his voice is just so bad i'm sure like yes if i stripped his voice off i'd like the music just fine but like uh his voice is just so bad and like you know the one good thing I can say about Morrissey is he's made like a gajillion people go vegetarian and vegan. So like, that's cool, but you can fuck up too. My most wanted to be heard recording ever, ever is a recording of Morrissey auditioning for slaughter and the dogs. Cause he did it. Whoa. Did he? Yeah. And could you imagine him seeing like, trying to really high, (laughs) trying to really high. (laughs) (laughs) Like he, oh no like it would be so awesome to hear him do all these songs oh that voice i when uh um uh oh man i'm blanking on his name i gotta get gotta get his name from the cult uh, i just can't get over you doing <laughs> that, that's what i'm gonna do when fucked up when i when i finally lose my voice uh i want to i'm just gonna like become that guy and do that voice forever and do my do my interpol style band with that voice it's like oh, instead yeah. of like dancing doing elvis it's like you doing morrissey doing when billy duffy was on the show uh he was in um uh with the nosebleeds with morrissey right and like oh, wow and so i'm like did he sing those nosebleed songs like with that voice like what did his voice sound like and he's like He's like, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it was really high. And I'm like, oh, wow. It's weird to think of that voice, but like high doing like <laughs> fast punk. Yeah. So like that is, I've got to hear it. I got to hear it one day. <laughs> it's on the list of recordings I need to hear. <laughs> um, when did you start training wrestling? Uh, 2015. And how'd you start doing that? Why'd you start doing that? Other than being um, a fan, I mean. I well, yeah, I was always into it. Um, but like, I don't know, it was really weird. Like, I so like, you know, you grow up and then like all these people are like, Oh, I know all this like underground wrestling, and I was like pretty much just like a WWF WWE purist. Mm-hmm. Um, and like obviously knew of WCW and would watch it a little bit, but not like really follow it. Um, and it was just like I don't know you just like never saw like ugly girls wrestling so i'm like oh you just have to be like super skinny with big huge tits to wrestle so it just like was never like a real thing to me like there was like luna and then i felt like after luna like 
everyone was just like a 10, you know? Mm. Um, so it was never like a realistic thing. Like, even though like when I was younger, I'm like, I'm going to be a wrestler, but I was like, just kidding. That's not a real thing I can do because like, you know, I don't look like those people. Um, and then I kind of, I started to get back into it. Um, cause I was like totally removed from it for a while. Like when I moved out here, I just like didn't have TV or anything, any way to watch it. And I just kind of didn't seek it out a super ton. And then I think like most people like CM Punk drew us all back in, you know, like, yeah. who the fuck's this dude wearing fucking Cro-Mags on wrestling? <laughs> like what? <laughs> um, so he kind of drew me back in. And then for my birthday one year, my roommates got me tickets to go to raw. Um, and I remember going and it was like so sick, but then like the only woman's batch and this is when they were still being called divas was like a 20, 20 girl, like battle Royal for like two minutes. And I'm like, I could fucking do that. Like, I'm like <laughs> this is trash. I'm like, what the hell? And it was just like weird to me. So I'm like, man, at the time, like it was still so backwards. And I'm like, how is it still like the standard and like the norm for, women wrestling um and then like you know i got i got like more knowledgeable just about like all the other kinds of wrestling and everything and i like got into it and i was doing i was trying to like really be like okay i have to make a career now like i'm trying to do animation stuff so i was like working at amoeba during the day and then i would come home and i would do like six hours of like animating stuff and i was just like so over sitting down in front of a fucking computer like i was like this is awful like i hate this um and i was like i should be doing this when i'm like old and can't move and then i just like kind of like did a google search for like can i start training like where's a where's a place to train like is this a real thing i could do and then i found uh rikishi had a school called knox pro and then i was like uh and i just like emailed them and they're like yeah come friday morning and i'm like uh <laughs> and so i just like went and it was like uh, just like a place at the time it was in Sun Valley. It was just like, you know, in between, like, uh, I think there was like a mechanic shop next door, just like a very like unsuspecting like warehouse. And I just like went in and, uh, black Pearl, uh, was there and he like introduced himself to me and I was like, Hey, yeah, I want to wrestle. And he's like, okay, cool. What do you know? I'm like, I mean, whatever a fan knows, like, you know, I'm not like smart to anything. I didn't even really know the terminology um like did you know uh, about like being smart to it like were you even like that aware of it or you i mean i knew like you know i knew it was a work i knew like you know the training i knew like the like talking in the ring i knew like that kind of stuff but i didn't know like the extent of like worked yeah like in like the like on the fly stuff and all that kind of like things you know like i knew it was like you know pre-booked i knew like you are working together but i like kind of was like oh like to me, it was more like, oh, you have like from point A to point Z all mapped out before mm-hmm. you go out there and then you go out there and do it. Like, that's kind of what, like, I assumed how it worked. Um, but like, yeah, like I didn't know all the, like all the biz talk, which I still like, it's funny. Cause I feel like that's such like a sacred thing. And it's like only allowed for like the locker room and like the boys. And like, even I still feel like I'm not allowed to use it yet. <laughs> like, um, yeah. And then I hear like, sometimes like I'll hear people talking like that, that like aren't in the biz. And I'm just like, oh, like, <laughs> it's like a rite of passage. Like you've never even taken a bump. Um, but yes, yeah. I went and it was crazy. Cause it was like black pro, like, you know, came in 
or he came outside, he greeted me and like, we talked and we talked like all the like, you know, money stuff. And he like told me what to expect. And then like, just like in the ring and just like Gangrel and Rikishi, <laughs> just like, <laughs> what the fuck? And it was like a Friday morning. Like they didn't have the lights on. So it was really hot. It was in the summer. So it was just like a dark warehouse and with like four kids training. It was like one of their, like, um, they had like an open ring day, you know? And it was just like, and they're just like in the ring with them. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I was just like, Ellie's wild, man. <laughs> <laughs> I met Gangrel once and he's super nice. Yeah. He was really like a, a really, like, I was like, you know, cause once again, my only exposure to him was, you know, with the blood and uh the brood and stuff and then to meet him and he's just like this like super nice person i'm like oh wow this guy's super cool yeah it's it's uh yeah like i don't know it 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 seems to me like it would be it's like something i've never wanted to cross like you know as much as like i like being around wrestling i never want to know how it all works you know i'm glad i I get to have this kind of like distance from it because it is uh like you're saying it's like a an art where people like put their lives in each other's hands so it, it takes years to be able to to do it and to know it and to you know to be to be in it i guess like well you'd know better than i would <laughs> yeah uh yeah it uh it really is it's, it's like so wild and there is so much trust involved you know it's like kind of like it's kind of wild when you like think about it like you know like because it's funny like when I watch people when I watch wrestling with people that have never watched it before like they're either like one of two ways like one they're like oh this is like like there's the people that are like how did they do that they're still very childish like oh my god that must have hurt so bad oh my god how are they not dead oh my god you know and then there's like the people on the other side that are like this is all fake yeah and I'm like okay it's sure it's fake but like you think falling like that don't hurt like you think like this like you know it's like you're doing like live stunt work like what do you mean it's like you know and then they'll, they'll be like yeah but like they know each other and like they've done this like a million times but right i'm like not all the time like sometimes it's the first time you meet that person and they're like what and then like that's what blows their mind it's like wait what <laughs> so it's just like this universal code that you guys both like know and you're like hopefully <laughs> yeah like i think i don't think it hit me how much everything hurts until the first time I, I had to do like a, like just land on my back, flat back. Yeah. And it was just like, wait, I got to throw myself backwards. And the harder you do it, the less it hurts. Yeah. And then, and, and like, but it, and it, but even, even when it hurts less quote unquote, it still hurts. Yeah. Like everything hurts. Like it's not a matter of like, Oh, it's it, not everything hurts. No, it's like literally everything fucking sucks. Like hitting the ropes sucks. Like oh, yeah. bouncing yeah. off the ropes. Like there's nothing, nothing feels good in that ring. Nope. But, and it's like, it's, it's so the opposite of music where, and especially punk where you can literally get up with punk and sometimes better, the less training you have in punk. <laughs> you yeah. Get up there with no training whatsoever. Be completely reckless up there. <laughs> yeah it's also funny too because like with with how many parallels there are between like punk and wrestling like there are huge like like it's not encouraged for you if you're a wrestler to like go watch your friends wrestle mm -hmm. like it's not encouraged for you to be like viewed as a fan you know and, she, mm -hmm. and it's like such a backwards way of thinking to me because i'm like but like 
I want to go see like so-and-so like, you know, on the card, like that's tight. And like, look at all these people being pumped for them. Like I want to support, but it's like, no, like, you know, like you got to make that like line of like, it's also like, I guess the other thing is the, the idea of being a star where in wrestling, that's like the goal is you want to be the star. Mm-hmm. And in punk, it's like, if soon as you're the star, you are the fucking <laughs> no. worst. Do it. You're a fucking star. What's this bullshit star shit? <laughs> you betrayed me. Yeah. Like you, oh, I can't believe it. Whereas, you know, like you, you don't want to sell your merch before your match. You don't want to do yeah. all these different things because you want to be presented as, as you know, like, like as larger as perfectly as possible in that ring. Whereas in music, it feels like everything that you want to do is the opposite of what punk tells you to do. Like, yeah, none of that rock star shit. You know, what's really funny is like, uh, which is, which is always so funny. Cause, um, you know, something they always tell, tell us is like, make sure you're humble. Like always stay humble, always stay humble. But then like, I've been pulled to the side like a few times and they're like, you're too fucking humble. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta be a freak. I'm like, ah, all right. Um, but they, uh, they like, uh, it was a show after, after the high halves, a suburban fight show. I forget what show it was, but I, I had wrestled and we stayed, we cleaned up, whatever. And then I left and there was like a, a group of people still out front that were just like at the show. They were just kind of like drunk and hanging around in the area. And I like walked around the corner, got my car, which was like, a 2001 like super shitty like side panels missing subaru like all fucked up like <laughs> smells like shit stalls out all the time and like someone saw me and they're like you drive that and i was like huh <laughs> which like i usually am not self-conscious about anything but i'm like uh <laughs> i really should have drove the other way huh <laughs> it's like well man it's just funny because i feel like it was like that mystique of like oh like she was one of the stars on the show tonight and then i instantly like went down to like regular person <laughs> level in their eyes and they're like that's what you drive i'm like yeah that's what i drive fuck you usually you get, i ride a bike <laughs> you need the stalin profile and you need the limo outside you know you need to like maintain that image till you get back to the hotel oh man i know i fucked up rookie mistake <laughs> uh I guess like one of the things I wanted to ask you about just because it was such a a thing was that suburban fight show yeah. and you know, that match you had with Priscilla Kelly, mm-hmm. which became like the the biggest internet story in wrestling for you know, like <laughs> Jim Cornette had a heart attack. Like anytime you can shorten that man's life by a little, like, you know, it's a good moment. So <laughs> Yeah. Uh you know, that was really funny because, like, uh, we didn't think that much of it. Like, we're like, oh, this is going to be, like, sick, this is, but, like, funny and, like, this is going to get a reaction. But we, for some, I don't know why, but, like, neither of us were, like, viral. This is going to go viral. Like, I wasn't thinking, like, this is going to get filmed and everyone's going to see it on the Internet. Like, didn't even cross my mind. Meanwhile, Brody and uh, Darby we're like, we're trying to go viral. We're going to do this scooter spot. And they have like the lime scooter and they like do the yeah. clothesline off the lime scooter. And they're like, we're going to go viral. And I'm like, whoops. Um, but uh, yeah, we just like, you know, we, that's the thing I really like about. I like working with Madison a lot, um, but also like it makes you have to be so much more fucking creative because you're so limited on what you can do. Mm. And also like 
everyone kind of like all the spots start to look the same, you know, cause everyone's trying to like steal the show, but like, also you have to be safe, but also you have to be creative. So it's funny. Cause like we did that spot, which like elicited, like it, we got a crazy reaction from it. Like even like Brody, when we got back to the back, he's like, what the, like, I've never heard a room full of men scream. <laughs> he's like he didn't see it, but he heard it. And he's like, what the fuck did you guys do? <laughs> I've never heard a crowd of men shriek like that. Um, uh, but yeah, so like, you know, whatever we did it, it was safe. It like got a reaction. Um, I feel like there was a ton of psychology behind it because it was just like, you know, like yes. the story was just like, we kept going, we kept going, we kept going. And then she did that nasty shit. And then I beat the fuck out of her. And then like, I won, you know, and then it was like, it like made me snap type thing, you know? And um, I feel like we like really told the story with it. Mm -hmm. And then like instantly, like all of the like reaction was like, you need to learn how to work. You need to use psychology. Maybe if you knew that, you know, and just like, we just got shit on. And like, I think Priscilla handled it with fucking like, she handled it like a fucking like, perfectly like she did like benefit shirts out of it she just like you know took it and ran um i had uh i had asked somebody like for some advice on like how should i do this and like you know like i don't want to like be disrespectful or anything to like biz and i think i should have just like went with my gut um because like i feel like usually my gut's pretty right and so i was just kind of told to like just like lay low like if someone wants to like do an interview like don't do this and you know just like just like let it pass and uh i like still i'm like man i shouldn't have like because i feel like i almost felt like that like in the long run like perpetuates the like silencing women in the locker room type thing like you know i should have been able to like taken that and run and that was kind of like that whole thing was a mind fuck because it was like i just like put all my shit on private after that for a while because i was like <laughs> i was getting attacked from like every fucking angle like I was like, Jim Ross is shitting on me on the internet. <laughs> like, what is this? Well, and, and to me, that was like the most embarrassing part of that reaction was these old timers that just didn't get. Yeah. Like what? What? Like this is a, you know, this is a a, a quote unquote safe spot in yeah. wrestling. Like, like this is like a safe <laughs> thing in wrestling. Like you guys freak out when shit is too dangerous. Mm -hmm. Here's something that elicits a reaction that's so innovative like i've never seen it no one's done what you did before in, in wrestling and it was like but yet it plays on this tradition of the mandible claw of of mr Sacco, of this like historical like you know like, it's just to me it was like such a brilliant thing and then like the fact that all these people didn't see it was just like mind-boggling to me it was really funny too because like and was like what do you mean like so rikishi can literally put his ass in people's faces yeah. for years <laughs> that's acceptable <laughs> yeah and then, like, i think my my favorite video was like the was it the tmz one where like the dudes were like insisting to the girls were like that's a real tampon and they're like no it's not and they're like yes it is they're like okay <laughs> that's why it was amazing because like people didn't like you know it was just like it everyone got so caught up it exposed like how fragile these these big you know old timer yeah. people are like they're just like it was just everything about it was just amazing but i could totally see how being in the eye of the storm would probably be a different experience than watching from the sidelines it was it was a little gnarly um and then madison's like we gotta book another one right away and i'm like 
I don't know, man. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can handle this. Cause like, there was like other stuff happening in my life at the time too. And it was just like, things were just gnarly. And I'm like, ah, and, um, also like, uh, I had like told, so my bandmate, Justin, he's in that band Graf Orlock and his, uh, the singer of that band, something came up and he wasn't able to do like, they had three East coast dates booked. And so Justin had asked me like a week before that match, he's like, Hey, do you want to like come fill in for graph on vocals? And he's like, we're not going to like announce it. You're just going to show up and be the singer. I'm like, what? So I had to learn like 18 songs. So I'm like in the process of learning all these songs. And like, I have like some like crazy shit going on in like my personal life. And then like this thing happens and like the internet's like pissed at me. And I'm like, this is a lot of shit. I got to learn this Indiana Jones song for this graph warlock power. Punch. Like, Here we go. And I'm just like, this is a lot, man. At least the uh, anger on stage could come from a real legitimate place, though, right? Like, you didn't have to force that, I imagine. Oh, no, not at all. But it's hard to be angry when there's, like, an Arnold Schwarzenegger sample and, like, you know, true, true. kids yelling, like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was, it was super fun. Uh, but, like, a few people were like, wait, aren't you the girl? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, so finally, like, Madison finally rebooked the rematch between us. And like a week before it, I broke my leg. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like a fucking course. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was, it was funny. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm so pumped for Priscilla. Like I love it. I love it. I love how great she's doing. It's a, it's funny too how it's you know once again like Brody, you know Priscilla Darby. Like there's a lot of like these the punk wrestle like CM Punk obviously and like there's sort of like the tradition of it, but like. There's a lot of people now in in wrestling, like on every level that are, are kind of like connected to this thing in one way or another. It's funny because like someone like posted that card from that night and like literally everybody is signed. I'm like, 2022 is my year, baby. Yeah, this is your year. This, honestly, <laughs> here I come. I'm the last one. I got to starts with the taupe appearance and it ends <laughs> with the, the main event title win. That's right. Uh, that's how it goes that's how it goes well tuna this has been amazing and when you do win that title you please come back for a part two yes um can we uh i wanted to talk about sweat for a minute oh yeah for sure absolutely i was gonna we plug have... it on the intro of the extra too okay awesome we just we have a record it's coming out on the 4th of february i'm very excited it's my first ever lp um so it is gonna be sick and I'm so pumped. And hopefully when things are cool, we can play shows and we'll tour everywhere. We got to play together one time. Oh, that'd be so sick. You know, so I like, I honestly think dog teeth is like that seven inch is one of my favorite singles. That thing is super underrated. Ah, thanks. No one gave a shit about it. <laughs> I know. And I like, and I, it's funny. Cause like, I, I love that record when you gave me the copy of it way back when and then when i was talking to to amy lita mm -hmm. and i sent it to her i'm like yo you're not gonna believe this record and she was like this thing's fucking incredible and i'm like uh -huh. yeah see i'm not alone so you know and and lita toured with 15 and saw like fugazi and battery so you That's know so she's wild. got credentials yeah right oh man well, i still have yet to meet her really yeah, we, we, do, we should do a we should do a splits episode with you and her. Oh my god, that'd be so sick. Okay, we're, I'm gonna start working on that now. 
I'm going to work on that now. Uh, Tuna, anytime you want to come back, be it for that split, be it when you win the title, you know the door is always open. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been sick. Thank you, Tuna, for coming on this show. And you heard right there, one way or the other, Tuna will be back for a part two at some point in the future. Or part part uh, 2.5, I guess, because this is like the 1.5 episode as well. So, uh, And once again, check out that sweat record. And check out Tuna Wrestling uh, if you get the chance. A fantastic, one of my favorite wrestlers to see wrestle, too. All right. That is it for today's show. Coming up next on the show, it's actually a really short, brief episode, but a fascinating conversation uh, surrounding the new movie, I'm a Cliche, the polystyrene documentary that was done by her daughter, Celeste, and and Paul. Both of them will be on the show next week, and uh, or the next episode, I should say. And it, yeah, it's a, a incredible documentary when this thing comes out. As I say, it's a very brief episode, but uh, some really interesting stuff in there. And it's a really a conversation I'm really grateful I got to have. All these conversations I'm grateful I got to have. Well, 99.99% of them. Anyway, that is it for the show. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and we need to help uh, trans people protect themselves because and stop hating violence towards people of different faiths and just, just see what's going on, you know, see, see the, it sounds, I sound like a, a weird fucking terrifying conspiracy theorist when I say this, but see the machination, see where this money's coming from that is funding a lot of this hate that's going on right now. See where, where a lot of this stuff is, is coming from. It's just, there's so much stuff. It sounds like I'm talking in generalities, but there's literally just dozens of things that I could be referring to right now. Like just, you know, get involved because these aren't political issues. These are human rights issues. And these are just like battle battles for our freedoms. If you think that some, uh, billionaire gives a fuck about you or gives a fuck about these political issues that they pretend to give a fuck about on social media, they don't, they are just using people to advance their own agenda for financial gain. Like this is not new and I'm not coming up with this as a, like a revelation or anything. We all know this. We all know this. We've, it's, 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 it's rooted in punk. You can flip through records and, and find the stuff written in records that came out decades ago. But I think we need to see it now more clearly and more than ever, because there's a lot more tools at hand to spread disinformation and to manufacture consent. Read Noam Chomsky. God damn. I went back and reread some Noam Chomsky stuff and that stuff is still pertinent and relevant today. You know, they're spoken. He's got speeches on things, you know, like listen, listen, just give a speech instead. I love hearing him talk. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling today. I'm, I'm all fired up. I was reading the news before I record this. Normally I record this thing at night and, and you know, I'm, I'm a little more mellow, you know, I've, I've consume some cannabis. I've had a chance to kind of breathe today. Oh, just nothing but coffee and angst and fuel on news. So yeah, get involved, get involved in organizations, do stuff, you know, even if it doesn't feel like it's going to change the world, cause it can feel overwhelming, you know, maybe, maybe it can do something. Who knows? Who knows? Um, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you're not going to need them. You're not, but it might, it might help someone live a new life. I've seen it happen. Speaking of things I've seen happen 
try meditating because I didn't believe in it and I find it really does work for me. You know, I didn't meditate for a few days and I'm like, oh, it doesn't really work. It takes so much fucking time. And then I did it for the last few days and I really do feel a lot more clear headed. You might not see that. It might not be perceptible to you listening to me ramble on incoherently, but I swear to God, I am more clear headed in my head. Uh, go there and make your own culture because anyone can do this shit. Start a band, start a fanzine, start wrestling, do, do something. Do something. You don't have to show anyone, too. It just might make you feel better. And that's it. That's all I got for this week. Uh, thank you for listening, and I will see... Or this week, this episode. Thank you for listening, and I will see you on the next episode. Stay safe. <laughs>